Today on Resball, we are going to talk about tanking and the false narrative, seeing as how Adam Silver is throwing around, threatening about regulation. I think it's actually pretty ridiculous. We're going to dive back into the history of taking and specifically the process Philadelphia 76ers. And look, was this really a problem? I don't think so. Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Resball. In our last episode, episode number two, we looked at the Thompson Twins and specifically their shooting concerns. Go check that out if you have any interest in the Thompson Twins. I give you my initial uh, thoughts on them, break down their games, and talk about shooting concerns. Looking at previous draft prospects who had shooting concerns that were major, I looked at prospects who shot under 35% from three and also under 70% from the free throw line. Go check that episode out on the Thompson Twins and their shooting concerns. Today, however, I want to talk about tanking and this recent comments from Commissioner Adam Silver about thinking of regulation, the way that European soccer works in terms of trying to combat tanking. If you don't know, this year, Victor Wembanyama is this next level prospect. A lot of people are talking about him already being one of the best prospects ever, like the Braun level, you know, just all world. You can't even imagine somebody this size with this skill being able to do all these things, maybe even Hakeem Olajuwon type of prospect. And so I guess the fear is that there's going to be so many teams that just outright tank a la Utah and San Antonio. Why, especially for a team like San Antonio, who's been so quote unquote tanking averse, all of a sudden they're able to trade away DeJounte Murray and be fine with only having Trey Jones as their point guard, who Trey Jones, if you don't know, cannot shoot threes, is a terrible three-point shooter. Great point guard, great defender, but you're going to struggle on offense. And Utah traded away Rudy Gobert. They traded away Donovan Mitchell. Danny Ainge is there, who famously led the Boston Celtics rebuild, trading away Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry to the Nets to get all those picks to start rebuild. It led to Jason Tatum. That led to Jalen Brown and where they are right now. The thought is there's just going to be all these teams now that will be more than happy to play terribly, put out a product that is not fun to watch, all in favor of getting Victor Wenminyama or Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson's been compared to Derrick Rose, been compared to John Wall, hyper-athletic, advanced point guard skills at such a young age. It's Victor Wenminyama at number one. It's Scoot Henderson at number two. There are a lot of teams that would love to add these two prospects because of all that they've displayed already at such a young age. Look like you're going to be franchise cornerstones. So this is why Adam Silver is starting to talk about regulation again to try and warn against just playing terribly to try and get the next can't-miss prospects here in this year's draft. And this 
started maybe with the Philadelphia 76ers and the process. If you are unfamiliar with what this means, the Philadelphia Sixers originally started to just say, you know what, we're tired of being in this mediocre mid-range NBA team. We're not at the bottom. We're not a top three seed. We're kind of somewhere in the middle. This is the post Allen Iverson years where they had Andrea Guadala. They had Nikola Vucevic for a while. They're competitive teams. Doug Collins coached them for a while, who's always been a solid coach, but they just weren't really going anywhere. And so their GM at the time decided, you know what? I have a plan. So a name now famous slash infamous, depending on who you ask, in this story is Sam Hinkie, the GM of the Philadelphia Sixers during this process era. It's called the process because at the time, Sam Hinkie said, forget it, I'm just going to trade away everybody. I'm going to get salary fillers so I can reach salary minimums. It doesn't matter if these players are good. I want to be bad to consistently get draft prospects and quote unquote trust the process, meaning getting as many number one or top three, top five picks as you can to try and get the best draftable talent and build through the draft rather than trying to spend money in free agency and chase free agents that you might not get. So after the 2012-2013 season, Doug Collins resigns, I believe, and then Sam Hickey is hired as the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. And what happens the next few seasons is as follows. From the 2013-2014 NBA season until the 2016-2017 NBA season, the Philadelphia 76ers win under 30 games every single season. In the 2013-2014 season until 2015-2016 season, they win under 20 games. And the low, 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 low point is the 2015-2016 NBA season where the Philadelphia 76ers win 10 whole games out of 82. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Again, the whole thought process was let's build through the draft. Let's try and find the next great prospects in the top. Hopefully, by being this bad, winning under 20 games, winning 10 games, we will be guaranteed at least a top three pick. Because if you don't know how the NBA works, it's not like football where the worst record always gets the number one pick. You end up being in the draft lottery and you go to the lottery there's a bunch of ping pong balls in a big, um, like, you know, like you draw for the lottery, the big bouncy balls, ping pong balls. And the more you lose, the more ping pong balls you have in there. And so if you're that bad, you're going to have, you know, more odds to get a top three pick. But how did that bear itself out? Let's take a look at the drafts between 2013, 2014 and their final terrible season of 2016, 2017. Let's look at that. 2013 2014 sees them get future almost MVP, maybe future MVP if he keeps playing this way, Joel Embiid at the number three pick in the 2014 NBA draft. 
But I mean, even this comes with a little bit of a caveat. Joel Embiid didn't play his first two seasons in the NBA because of the foot injury. And so they at least got one great talent there out of there. But again, it was pretty dicey at the beginning. A lot of people thought Embiid should have gone number one. If it wasn't for the foot concerns, maybe he goes number one. But first pick in this process, Joel Embiid, number three. Fantastic. The next year at the number three overall pick, yet again, they select Jaleel Okafor, center out of Duke. Jaleel Okafor did not work out, was one of those prospects that showed the difference in the center position. He profiled as somebody that could go to work down low, had a lot of post moves, low post score, no jump shot, questionable defender. And it ended up not working out despite him scoring like over 20 points per game, I believe, in college. He scored a bunch at Duke and looked fantastic. Would have been the number one overall pick if this were 1995, not 2015. He definitely was for another time and then ended up not working out. The next year, they finally land the number one overall pick, and they take the ill-fated Ben Simmons selection. Looked like he was going to work out for a while, and if you follow NBA basketball, you know the last few, I don't know, the last year, maybe two years in Philadelphia just fell apart. The jump shot never came around, just does not look aggressive, doesn't look to rise up during times when they really need him, even just to be aggressive and and even now in Brooklyn, it seems that there's a real chance this could be somebody that falls out of the NBA because he still can't really do much on offense. And especially if you're playing on a team with KD and Kyrie, you're not getting the ball in your hands. You've got to figure out something to do. And Ben Simmons just never developed anything other than being tall and taking advantage of that as a tall ball handler. Great playmaker in the defense. Was supposed to be all perennial all defense every year. But again, that didn't always manifest itself out on the court. So ended up not playing for Philadelphia. Souring. They trade him. At least they get James Harden out of it. It looks okay in that, that regard. And then the following year... Their last, where they really were terrible, 2016-2017, the 2017 NBA draft. They take, at the number one overall selection, Markel Fultz. Again, another number one overall pick and another prospect that did not work out. Fultz famously had a shoulder injury that put him out for a while, had a lot of shooting concerns that, again, this is like a running gag almost at this point. Didn't want to shoot the three. Looked like he was somebody that didn't want to really try this jump shot and they continued to work at it his health just never got better the shoulder never really healed the jump shot never came around and is currently playing Orlando where unfortunately again he has hurt another number one overall pick that ended up not working out for them and I am not sure they even got anything out of that deal and then one more I'll throw on top of here the very next year 2018 uh, that 2017-2018 season, I believe, was actually the first year that Joel Embiid played. Maybe it was the 2016-2018 uh, season, I can tell you here in just a second. But in that uh, 2018 draft, they famously selected uh, Mikel Bridges out of Villanova University. And he looked like, oh, this is a fantastic pick. And somebody who can fit in as a 3 and D 
type of wing, maybe even has some Kawhi potential. I remember hearing that back then of like, yeah, maybe this is a defender at first, and then he continues to work on his on-ball stuff and ends up being really good at an on-ball creator. And then they traded that pick away to the Phoenix Suns, and lo and behold, Mikael Bridges is exactly what they need. Fantastic defenders still continuing to get better on ball as an offensive player, and every team needs a Mikael Bridges. I'll be doing Mikael Watch for draft prospects later on down the line because I think he's, again, somebody every team needs. and definitely somebody every successful team needs Mikael Watch. So in addition to missing out on two number one overall picks, they also were like, nah, let's just trade Mikael Bridges, and I'm not even sure what they got out of it. It's definitely not as good as Mikael Bridges. And just go back to what I said before about Embiid. Embiid didn't play until 2016-2017 season, so excuse me, that was the year before that, that 2018 draft. So recounting all these misses at the top, like they only got one useful player out of the four times that they were in the top three, and that's Joel Embiid. Joel Okafor didn't work out. Ben Simmons, they tried, and he didn't work out. Markel Fultz never really got an opportunity because of injuries. This did not work. This process did not work. I don't know why this hasn't been said enough before, but you got one useful player out of all of that losing. Was it really worth it? And sure, maybe you can make the argument that, hey, look, they got James Harden out of it. As a result, too, they were able to trade Ben Simmons and get James Harden out of it. So, yeah, there has to be some usefulness to it. But I'm not really sure about that, too. I mean, yeah, I understand. But again, this process was supposed to be the answer of getting somebody like a LeBron or getting somebody like Jokic. They got Embiid, who's pretty much almost like Jokic. He's definitely in that race the last two seasons for MVP. But like, how much different are they than the rest of their competitors, right? Like the Bucks won a title in that time. The Nets are still there fighting with it. Well, maybe not now. I mean, they've been pretty terrible. Ben Simmons is <laughs> obviously imploding that team, sadly and unfortunately. But you look at the rest of the East and it's like, did Philadelphia really separate itself? I mean, in this time frame of them trying to turn it around through all the draft picks, the Raptors won a title, the Bucks won a title, the Heat haven't continued to improve, the Cavs just turned it around here. They obviously got LeBron and were still good, and I think that was part of the impetus for saying, you know what, forget it, let's just tank during this time. LeBron's in this conference with the Heat, and then he goes over to the Cavaliers, so it's almost impossible to get over that hump. Let's just try to get somebody that can at least get in his face and maybe compete on his level through the draft. But again, the Bucks won a title, the Raptors won a title, the Nets got KD and Kyrie. Even if that hasn't worked out again, there's something to be said about their ability to be able to do that while the Sixers have been in the race, but they still haven't gotten over the hump. And if we just look at where the Sixers are at right now on October 25th, 2022, they're one and three to start off this season. I mean, there's already people talking about Doc Rivers getting fired and like this team is super underachieving. Harden's dribbling the air out of the ball, which again, even if you're making that case of, hey, they at least got James Harden out of it. Maybe that's a bad thing. Yeah, they're probably still trying to figure things out, I, I imagine. But again, 
this is all about tanking and this whole thing of Adam Silver saying, well, we need to think about regulation to warn teams of pushing back against tanking. Maybe I'm bearing the lead here, but this is my thought on tanking. Look at the Sixers. Like, if I'm running another NBA team, do I really want everything that came with the process? What do I mean everything that came with the process? Well, again, you had four shots at number three. You only got one guy out of it. And that one guy, as good as he is, was an injury concern. But let's face it, as a big man with a broken foot that didn't play his first two years is an absolute 100% anomaly. How many other big guys with lower body injuries in their first couple years end up panning out the way Joel Embiid did? I mean, they really dodged a bullet. It could have been four actual busts. And if I'm running another NBA team or if I'm running the freaking league like the way Adam Silver is, why... Am I concerned and like throwing threats around at other teams to say, don't tank? I'm, I wouldn't want to tank anyway. Look at everything Philadelphia went through. Three busts. And then not only with that, the league pushed back against Hinky because he just was so outright and saying, you know what? We're going to lose. This is the process. Trust the process. I don't care if the product's bad. I'm trying to get draft picks, and this is the way I want to do it. The league eventually stepped in and pushed him out and, and put in a fake GM, whatever you want to call it, Brian Colangelo, who ended up getting ousted himself for bad behavior and being an idiot. And I believe that was the front office that traded away the Mikael Bridges pick as well. So fantastic. Not only did this plan make us have to fire our NBA or our GM because the NBA stepped in, the one that they basically placed in in the way ruined some of our team building to where, yeah, they could have used Mikael Bridges. That would have helped along the way to face teams like the Bucks, to face teams like the Raptors. That would have helped out a ton. And then again, we have to go through another GM search after this Brian Colangelo thing did not work out. And right now we have to go through Doc Rivers and had to go through the Brett Brown stuff. And then you had to deal with the whole Ben Simmons fiasco. Not to say every single team that would try to tank is going to find something like this Ben Simmons thing. But again, if the thought is trying to combat teams to want to not lose as much and be outright and say, yeah, we're going to tank to try and get somebody like Wick Victor Wembanyama or get somebody like Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons was another prospect that people thought, oh, I can't miss. Like, look at 6'10", he's a center size. He can be like a point guard. Look at how he's able to handle. And yet there were still those concerns. And many people in the draft community have looked back and said that, yeah, like maybe these concerns that he doesn't really care about winning and he just wanted to come to LSU to get his year and get out. Maybe some of these things about checking out on offense and not really working on that shot and stuff, they did end up manifesting themselves. Again, if I'm a GM, why would I want to put my entire franchise through this process of uncertainty and turmoil to where if your doesn't work out within, what, a year or two, then the league might step in and be like, hey, you're losing too much. We're basically going to force out your GM and make you hire somebody else. That, no, I do not want to do that. And Philadelphia also has this built-in fan base that even if they stink, 
the fans are still going to come. That fan base is fantastically loyal. They have great fans. Not every fan base can be like that. I think that's the big thing that gets lost in all this conversation. I'm a you know, Detroit Piston fan, like I said, for sure. If Troy Weaver right now came out and said, yeah, we want to lose for five years, like there would be a lot of the, the fan base that would just riot and said, forget it, we're not coming. I mean, look at the attendance the last two years. It was terrible. They don't want to keep that up. There are teams that cannot sustain that level of losing for that long. This is like, what, four or five years where the everybody in the organization is saying, yes, we want to stay under 20 wins. Hey, it's fantastic that we lost all those those times 72 games and only won 10 that's what we wanted if say like the sacramento kings did that like there i don't even know if there'd be anybody in the building if oklahoma city continues to do that is there even going to be anybody in the building they do not have that fan base built in like philadelphia does to where they can just say forget it we know that we have these tv deals locally we know we have worldwide supporters built in from people like moses malone charles Charles Barkley, Dr. J, Allen Iverson, who had a fan base that brought them to Philadelphia. Other teams don't have that. So why would a small market team like the Kings, like the Timberwolves, want to continue to do this when they're just going to lose more and more revenue and more and more fans along in the process? And to close this out, let's think of two other examples. The Lakers post Kobe when they stunk and they got all those like top five, top ten picks. They still had all that media covered. They still had all these people being able to talk about them, come to games, be hyped for Lonzo Ball, be hyped for Brandon Ingram, be hyped for Julius Randle, be hyped for Kyle Kuzma. They had a fan base again that is going to stay there and they don't have to worry about things like another small market team. And then they're always the Lakers. They're always going to attract people just like the Nets and the Knicks because they're in those markets that players want to go to, that a lot of them are from. They don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. The other good example to think about on the other end are the Timberwolves, who I don't think they were trying to tank, but they ended up getting the first overall pick twice, once in 2015. They selected Carl Anthony Towns, and then again in 2020, most recently, they were able to select Anthony Edwards, Ant-Man, and that has worked out well. But again, in those years in between, they were not trying to tank the way that a Philadelphia 76ers process era was. In 2014, 2015, excuse me, they go 16 and 66. The next year when Cat is a rookie, they go 29 and 53. The following year after that, they go 31 and 51. And oh, by the way, they hired Tom Thibodeau in the, for the 2016-2017. They also traded for Jimmy Butler along the way. They tried to make moves that did not pan out, but again, they were not trying to outright tank. 2017-2018, the tips helped them get to 47 and 35. And then 2018-2019, they go back down. 2018-2019, they try out Ryan Saunders. And then in that 2019-2020 season, they go back down to 19 and 45. I think this is more of in line with what most teams try to do. This Philadelphia process thing, again, was the outlier. So I do not get why the NBA and Adam Silver are threatening to do things like regulation because it doesn't make sense for any other type of team to tank because, number one, it did not work. 
if we look back at the Philadelphia process, who wants to try and do that and think, oh, maybe it'll work out once? Yeah, maybe Ben Simmons, Fultz, and Okafor were just a fluke. But again, if you go listen to NBA Big Board Raphael Barlow, he did a podcast a week or two ago talking about the top two picks in every draft. If you go back historically and look at number one and number two, there's like almost no all-stars for both of them. One of them works out, but I don't know that ever it really looks at a number one and a number two to where they both end up being these all-NBA or all-of-famers or whatever that normally they get hyped up as coming into the draft. So again, any smart GM will look back on this process. Any smart GM will look back on tanking. And I think the Sixers and the Timberwolves are two great examples because one wasn't trying to get the number one pick overall again. It just happened and they embraced at that point. You know what? Forget it. Dibs didn't work out. Jimmy Butler thing didn't work out. So let's just trade away. Let's start over even though we've been trying here. We still have Carl Anthony Towns and then let's try and get another star and build through there. And even then now, they just got Rudy Gobert. They're still trying to figure things out. They're definitely not at the top of the Western Conference. They have two number one overall picks, but they're still very much in flux. We don't really quite know if that's all going to work out. And then with the process, again, they got Joel Embiid, but if that didn't work out, what in the world is going to go on? Why would I, as a GM, look at this strategy and say, yeah, I want to repeat it. Yeah, fantastic. Let's just, you know, tank our fan base for four or five years and hope that maybe we get one Joel Embiid in this. So I, I, it's just one thing that as a fan and as somebody, you know, who writes occasionally on these things and looks at the draft mostly, I don't know why it's been such a thing of like, let's try to combat tanking because nobody wants to do this again. And the evidence for that for me is nobody's tried to duplicate it again since then. The Kings still stink, but they haven't tried to just outright tank every time. They've tried to get Harrison Barnes. They've tried to make other moves, trading away Tyrese Halliburton to get DeMontis Sabonis. The Suns stunk for so long, and then they got Devin Booker that got better. They made that run in the bubble, and then they said, let's go get Chris Paul to help shore up playmaking to shore up the defense, and then they were able to build that core more and more. The Bulls They've been kind of stuck for a while post-Tibbs, Derrick Rose. They've been bad. They've never been bad enough to get the number one pick. They've continued to try different things. And again, they want to put a good product out on the court because they want to do right by Chicago and continue to have a fan base that comes to the game. Since why they went out and signed Lonzo Ball and brought in DeMar DeRozan and all those resources a couple seasons ago. And even my Pistons here for a while, they brought in Blake Griffin. They tried Andre Drummond team and bring in Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, those things didn't work out. And it wasn't until after those things that they said, okay, let's try a a couple seasons of just building through the draft. But even then they were able to supplement and say, let's take a chance on Jeremy Grant. Let's pay solid role players like a Kelly Olenek. And these things have been to build the team. It hasn't yet like borne itself out in wins and losses, but it's not just outright tanking. Again, I do not know why the NBA and Adam Silver continue to bring this up in the media, because to me, it it just doesn't make sense. And again, show me another team that's just consistently done this to where they have tried to be at the bottom three of the league. I just, I just don't see it.
And last point on this soapbox is not every team can be great. Like, what are we doing here? I don't understand this talk of regulation. And regulation, I guess I should have said this at the beginning, if you don't know what that means. In European soccer, there is a first division, second division, third division of teams. The first division is normally what we see with players like Messi, like Ronaldo, Mbappe. A bunch of uh, Neymar, all these top names, they're the ones that play in the top leagues around the world. And if there's teams that continue to lose and don't do great and score enough goals and points, then they get regulated, meaning they go down to the second division. And the top teams from that second division end up being promoted into the first division and they get to play up in that first division. So the thought is for the NBA would be like the G League, I guess. The G League Ignite, if they win the championship next year, or the Austin um, Spurs, if they win it the next year, then they get to come up into the NBA and like the Sacramento Kings or the Orlando Magic, if they're the bottom of the barrel, then they get to go into the G League and come up. Again, this seems counterproductive to me from the business side of things too where yeah let's take the major market Orlando let's take the major market Sacramento and let's promote up Grand Rapids um, I love Grand Rapids I'm from Michigan but let's, let's just keep it real there's money to be made from all these TV deals and things that are already set in Orlando versus Grand Rapids where there's no national distribution there's no local distribution even in western Michigan for doing something like that uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me and what these threats are and why tanking is a quote-unquote problem that the league needs to address because, in my opinion, it doesn't. These things bear itself out. And again, smart GMs will not want to repeat this because of everything that Philadelphia went through and also because they have a fan base they want to keep happy. Thank you for making it all the way to the end here of ResBall episode number three on tanking. Again, please like, share, subscribe to all of our content here. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio. Working it on Stitcher. Continuing to try and expand to different platforms. Episode one was on Sleepers and the Matt Penny special. Episode two, again, was on the Thompson Twins. We'll be talking to Piston Mike coming up here in the future. YouTube phenomenon. My One of my guys, Piston Mike, will be doing more Piston Dive things. As far as Piston content, I will definitely be doing 10-game recaps for Detroit Bad Boys and for Woodward Pistons. Be doing those here as well. And I will also continue to do draft content. I'll probably have Wembenyama watch along the way as well. I'll have a Mikhail watch for draft, as I said before, looking at draft prospects who could be like a Mikhail Bridges a player I think every team needs. We'll be looking at the top freshmen in this class as well as a term that I invented myself in terms of certain prospects that I think continually get ranked too low that that, that needs to stop. So continue to look out for all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us here again on another episode of Res Ball. We'll see you next time. How going it?